Welcome to The Mountain Gardener with your host, Ken Lane. Gardening can be challenging, but with Ken's tips, tricks, and local advice, you'll reap huge rewards. Now welcome your host, Ken Lane. And welcome to this week's edition of The Mountain Gardener. This is your host, Ken Lane. We're here every week talking about the landscape, the gardening of northern Arizona, high altitude. It's different here. It's different than anywhere else you've tried to garden in the country. So here you need to, there's less slop factor, I like to think of it. So other areas like the south, I mean, I could throw this microphone out on the ground and it would start to grow. I mean, it might be, it might grow kutsu or some other weird funky vine, but it's going to grow. I could throw my hat down on the ground in California, Northern Cal especially, and it would just take off with new growth. Uh, so, so you don't have to be as much of a gardener. You have to have a sort of a vision and a good lawnmower. That's mostly other parts of the country. Here, you've got to be more deliberate with your design because we don't have as much green. There's more browns. There's more rock outcrops. There's more rock lawns. We don't have a lot of grass or turf. There's some, but compared to other parts of the country, there's virtually, I mean, just there's a postage stamp. There's not a whole front yard. And so now your design, if you're not careful, if you take your beige house with your beige shutters and your beige shingles, you put a beige rock and you get your, your beige lawn, rock lawn, and it can look too, too brown. You need to balance it out. So you need to be more methodical. Get that balance right of your evergreens. Get more flowering things because it's like a little oasis. When done well, a great garden design can actually bring out the color, can draw people in like an oasis in the deserts. That, that's what a great mountain landscape can do for you. And now is when it really plays out. We've, we've are the very last tree to turn red. So there's, there's a couple of them. Right now, the ash trees are purple and they're red. So their ash turns anywhere from anywhere. Gold, Arizona ash is a gold. It's already done, has no foliage on it. The aspens, they're all done. They're pretty much turned and they're, they're just bare. They got the nice white bark, but they're no foliage. But the raywood ash has some foliage on it yet. The um, Bradford pears are ornamental pears. These are flowering pears. They don't actually fruit, but they have this white flower in the spring and this great fall color now. So to hold this foliage till how about Thanksgiving, 1st of December, and then it will lose its leaves. It's got this pretty gray, very light color, not white, but very light gray colored bark. It's very pretty. Uh, that's one of the last ones to turn. Uh, another one, um, a, a sweet gum. Sweet gum is starting to turn right now. So it's, it's got a bright orange or red color. Sweet gum looks like a maple leaf. So the, the red maples are pretty much done. So your acerebrums, your blaze maples, the celebrations, all this variety of red maples are pretty much done. The sweet gums are liquid amber. And so this is a little bit different variety. It, it starts to show its color just after the maples do. It's just got this beautiful orange and red color. Uh, tall, but not very wide. So maybe 30 feet tall by uh, no more than 10 feet wide, eight, 10 feet wide. Nice, nice columnar shape to it. That's showing off right now. And then it will be down to your evergreens. This is when your spruce and your pine, and your firs uh, really take center stage. Something I might suggest, I've got a lot of customers coming in going, 
my my fall colors weren't as bright as my neighbors aren't weren't as bright as I remember them. If your colors on your trees are more muted, let's say your neighbor's Bradford pear is a bright red. I mean, just rich, like fire engine red. I mean, it is red, and yours is more orangey to yellow. That's going to be because of the chemistry of the soil. Your soil pH has crept up too high, and it causes the the colors in the leaves to mutate, to 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 fade. And so, if that uh, beautiful, you know, if your aspens just they went from gold to brown like that, your sycamores, your your they just aren't as bright as you really want them to be. If you were to add some soil sulfur. That's what really brings the color out. This would be important to set the stage for next spring. So right now, you want to fertilize with the 744 all-purpose plant food. It's got some sulfur in it. Sulfur lowers your pH. It's got cottonseed meal. Cottonseed meal is very acidic, so it's lowering the pH for you. So we're trying to correct. Make You want to make your soil in the mountains of Arizona more acidic. You never... Do what HGTV or Fine Garden Magazine or what the, the Midwest East Coast folks tell you to do. They're telling you to add lime. Lime will sweeten the soil. Oh, add lime. It'll bring the color out. Oh, it'll make everything better. Never do that here. You'll kill your, you'll kill plants. I mean, I, this is School of Hard Knocks. I mean, hi, my name's Ken. We're just friends. And I've killed plants by using lime on it. I uh, just, or, or wood ash. The other one is I've killed plants by putting wood ash. So that uh, barbecue or, or uh, you, you, the wood ash out of your fireplace, don't put that around your trees. You do that other parts of the country. You do not do that here. Don't interject that into your vegetable gardens unless your tests tell you to do that. And I'm telling you, you can kill things with that. Our water is extremely high in pH. And every mountaintop, you, you look out, just look out your window. If you see a mountain peak, it's almost assuredly a volcano core. So lots of volcanic ash naturally showing up. We have so much ash in our soil already, which is what's causing the water to go alkaline. If you were to add more ash or you just downright skip the ash, go right to lime, you raise that pH, you can, you can raise it to where nothing will live in that soil for quite a while. It's a big mistake when you make that mistake. It's a year commitment. The only way to get around it is just wait it out for a couple of years or replace the soil. Get rid of that ash or that lime. We want to do just the opposite here. We want to add soil sulfur. Anytime we add a fertilizer, we don't want we don't want a national brand fertilizer. We want one that's made for the Southwest where it's got sulfur added to it, not lime. Your Scots and your national brands, they're they're making fertilizers, not for us. They're making it for where the body count is. There's more bodies showing up from from you know Richmond, DC, all the way north to Boston, over to Chicago. That's where most of the humanity lives, and that's where most of the buyers are. It's where most of the gardens are. So they're they're making formulas for there. It's recipes. You want a recipe that's put together for for here. And so sulfur is what you add. A little iron is what you add to that. And hopefully it's a slow release organic because we're all drinking groundwater. Uh, I mean, even if you don't have a well in your house, you're, the, the city that's providing your water has gotten it from a well someplace, at least in the mountains of Arizona. So you want to make sure we're not polluting ourselves or poisoning ourselves. A whole bunch of chemical fertilizers get washed down and get in the water table. But I preach too much. Sorry, I won't. I won't get on that. I, I can go. All, I've got classes where I go off on an hour just telling what pH and soil, how to fertilize, and 
And if that's of interest, come in. I'll give you the handout. It's free. It's one page. It's a four steps to feeding your landscape. It's what it's called. It's, it'll tell you exactly what to do when. But the main point is if the colors haven't quite been right in your yard, they look a little off. It's, it's always a nutrient thing. It's, it's, a, it's a chemistry, pH thing. If your evergreens are dropping a bunch of needles, especially on the inside, we need to fertilize those so we can grow our way out of that. Once an evergreen, a pine, a spruce, a juniper, drops its needles, it never grows back on that section. The only way to correct that is to push new growth out from the outside of that tip, of the outside branches, push, elongate new growth, and so it hides the inside of that evergreen pine, spruce, fir, cypress, cedar, all of those kinds of plants, the needly type of conifers. Uh, once they drop their needles, they will never form needles on that branch again in that section. They can further out. Hopefully I'm describing that correctly. Oh, it's kind of difficult to describe <laughs> encyclopedic uh, uh, knowledge over the airwaves, but come, come with us, come a sample, Keep, bring a sample. We could tell you what's going on. That's the other one with your, with your blue spruce or your blue junipers or your, the colors, the plants that are blue color, you know, the Arizona blues. If they seem to be turning more green, you fertilize it with the all purpose plant food, but then you also add aluminum sulfate. Sulfate sulfates lowers a pH. It makes it more acidic. Evergreens love more acidic soil. But then the aluminum gets picked up by the plant, and then it starts to secrete this on, the, on that new growth, and it just makes that plant glow. I mean, it just makes it really rich blue. So if that Colorado blue spruce you planted three years ago, you remember it being really blue, and all of a sudden it's not quite so pretty, well, add some all-purpose plant food, that's 744, and some aluminum sulfate. And you're setting the stage for next spring's growth that will wow. I mean, just your neighbor's going to go, whoa, how'd you do that? Can, give me the insider tip. Well, I tuned into Ken's radio show. He told me to put uh, aluminum sulfate on it. Made all the difference. That's the insider tip. Be right back. You've been listening to The Mountain Gardener with Ken Lane, owner of Waters Garden Center in Prescott. Join him every week for timely garden advice right for the gardens. Visit Ken where he can be found throughout the week at Waters Garden Center in Prescott. Some things are just better together. July is the best time to fertilize with all-purpose plant food from Waters. But pair the all-purpose with humic acid and it's a one-two punch of garden power. Humic acid gives your soil organic matter that helps plants' roots receive water and nutrients. So it makes fertilizer work even better. Like salt and pepper. Coffee and donuts. And hey, you and me. Aw, thanks Ken. All-purpose plant food and humic acid, better together and only at Waters Garden Center. Hi, Ken, with the Plants of the Week and our Fire Alarm Red Mums. With a name like Fire Alarm, you'd expect large red blooms that take a fire hose to put the glowing petals out. Just provide a little garden soil for a flaming red that will last and last. But wait, there's more. This Fire Alarm Mum comes back again for even bigger show next year and just $3.99. Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott, where people who love red mums, they love to shop. You've been listening to Ken Lane, the Mountain Gardener, green thumbs learned while working in the Family Garden Center. Now welcome back to the Mountain Gardener. And we are back with Lisa Waters Lane. She comes in each week to answer your garden questions. Just what are your neighbors talking about? 
many times we can pick up uh, some insight just to see what the seasonality is of neighborhoods. When problems hit, they don't hit just your house. It's the entire neighborhood, the entire community. When things bloom, they aren't just in your house. They're all over your neighborhood, all over the community. So this is a valuable segment. Lisa, welcome back to the studio. Thank you. How's my uh, El Paso gal? We spent... uh, (laughs) Uh, time with the grandkids this last week. We did. It's kind of fun. We got three grandchildren. I can't believe you are a hottie for a grandmother. I got to tell you. <laughs> I'm you a still, young grandmother. You still catch my eye, my <laughs> dear. So anyway, grandkids, they're even more fun than kids. And we got yeah. to smash pumpkins with them and go find Indian leaves. arrowheads and rake leaves. and yeah. all. The, they're from El Paso. El Paso is dust, dirt rock. <laughs> No tree. I mean, there's just it's just desert. Yeah, it is. And so for them to come up here and see leaves, they thought Mm -hmm. that was great. It was fun. Then we play hide the pumpkin. We played that for a long time, and kids are pretty easy to entertain. Yeah, give them a pile of leaves, and they'll they'll go. Then we had uh, pop up um, hide the pumpkin. Yeah. So we hid the pumpkin in the front yard. This is a big pumpkin. It's like I don't know. It's it's a (laughs) basketball size or bigger. Pumpkin, you will go hide. You hide the pumpkin. We'll come out and try to find it. So I had it under the pile of leaves. I had it up in the trees. I had it in the shrubs. I had it all over the place. Yes, so uh, up on the roof, we had it. Mm-hmm. And they found it every time. It was they fun. It then was we took good. it off the back deck and hurled it down the deck. I and know. I saw the smash. guts on the back patio. Yeah. There's nothing like a good pumpkin smashing. <laughs> If you got grandsons. There you go. <laughs> anyway, garden questions. Yeah. What do we got this week? So Phil would like to know, do gophers hibernate or are they active year round? Yeah. Good good question, actually. Yes, they do hibernate. They're, what's the problem with that is they're extremely active in the fall mm-hmm. and in the spring. So they're, they're hungry when they wake up in the spring. They're going, I'm just starved. They start eating everything. And then now they're trying to fatten up. And I noticed that mom has kicked out the little pups, little guys. And so they're out rummaging around trying to find a new winter home for themselves. And so there's this expanse that happens now. So in fall, that'll happen until into December. So another month, month and a half. January, they hibernate. Uh, They'll burrow down about three, four, five feet. I've seen, I've witnessed I've seen gophers <laughs> six feet under the ground in a hole. I mean, I've seen the runs four feet under the ground. So they'll be real deep where it's warm, mm-hmm. and then they'll come back up every once in a while. But basically, they hibernate down there. And there's less problems. Right now, they're ferocious mm-hmm. on your apple trees, your ornamental grasses, sedums, any kind of lawn. Oh, they're vegetables. They're all over that. So you really got to get on them because there's not just one generation. You've got... Three, four, five generations of gophers all living. It's never just one. It's families Mm -hmm. of gophers. And they can destroy. Your yard can look like a bomb field went off. You walk across it and you just sink down in the ground because there's so many runs. That's a problem. You need to to either gas them. There's there's a little gopher gasser bomb you throw down there. Not very effective, but we have them. Mm -hmm. Don't use it. If you, if you don't have to, there's traps. That's what your grandparents used. Highly effective, a little frustrating, hard to set, but uh, but you got to just be on it. And then uh, there's poisons. So those are your your ways. And there's actually a, a um, repellent. We've got Mole Max mm-hmm. 
It's a castor bean. It's lots of herbal type of, of repellents, all natural, doesn't hurt them, but it makes the soil that's around your tree, let's say, or in your garden intolerable. And so then they move off. Now they're, they're moving hopefully to your neighbors, not just <laughs> to the next garden, right. but they're, those are your four ways. So baits, uh, traps, gas, and then organic repellents mm-hmm. for gophers. Come in and see us more if you got that. Hopefully is we it, answer is fills. Is it better to do like a multi-prong approach and kind of hit all your bases? Go or? all marine on them? You yeah. mean just shock and awe? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so we, we had them in, in Skull Valley. So we had farms down there, and they're getting in the greenhouses. They're, they're lifting all this new rock you spread. It was, it was a problem. Eating your, your orchard. I mean, you're yeah. just destroying stuff. And so I started trapping. I would trap. I'd set 12 traps every day. I'd set 12 in the morning, go to work, come home, set them again. I'd catch about six gophers in the morning. I'd reset it, catch six more in the evening. Mm -hmm. I was catching 10, 12 gophers every single day. I did that for a month straight, every single day. And I finally went, that is enough. That's too many of That's crazy. That's too much work. I'm not doing so. I moved to a, a bait and a, mm-hmm. there's a safer bait, zinc phosphides mm-hmm. that, that are safer. They don't have the secondary kill. Uh, we've got a tool that, that really makes them go. That's one. come see us. We can hands-on give you the, the lesson. But that's kind of, there's not any one that's better. It's mainly just consistency. So I, I usually go out and I'll level the entire field or the garden with my boot or a tractor or something. So then I can see where all the new hills are. And I'll, every day I'll go after the new hill. And then when I bait that one or trap it or whatever, I'll kick that hill down so I know, oh, I've done that one. Mm-hmm. Then I'm always looking for the new one. If you do that for a week or two, you'll go, oh, there's less activity. Oh, I must be doing some good. That's the only – they never come above ground. Right. Uh, they they get <clears throat> sick and they go underground, or they get suffocated. They go underground, unless you trap them, and then they're half of, half of them are alive. You got to this oh, thing is in the trap. Going, oh, oh, what's going on? Uh, what you? I don't want to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah. we won't go any. <laughs> well, it's too gruesome to share over the airwaves. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go there. But okay, so there's lots of things to try, but I think the most important thing is get on them because they'll take over your world if you let them. So Frances has a question. A few weeks ago, her yard was looking absolutely gorgeous. She left to go out of town for about two and a half weeks, came back. Everything looks horrible. <laughs> Dried up. Dead. <laughs> okay. So her We're question to, is, a lot. Yeah. yeah, what happened? Yeah. Well, this poor Phoenix, Southern Cal, uh, <laughs> desert tropical folk, folks from Hawaii, they've never seen four seasons. So it's now officially fall. We've had a frost. And it came in and it zipped the 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 leaves. So sycamores went from green to brown. There is no fall color with sycamores. It's just brown. Uh, maples went from green to yellow or, or red, and then just now they're they've dropped their leaves. And so same with crepe myrtles and grapes. And you just go right down the line. Um, it's it's winter. I mean, it, they're they're hibernating like like the gophers. They're hibernating, so they just kind of shed their leaves. And a lot of this is a healing process for them. They shed those leaves because some of them are damaged. They're torn. They're diseased. Mm-hmm. And so these plants that are very active and vigorous during the, the growing season, they need to shed their leaves, take a rest, so they come, come back in spring with vigor. That's why it's so incredibly important to fertilize in the fall of the year. The number one feeding of all the year. I mean, if you if you'd never fed your plants any other time except now, this is the most important time 
I can't emphasize that enough, especially if you've got fruit trees. You need to put a fruit tree food on there. You, they, they need that. that they're, they're, they're taking that food in now to form next spring's leaf and flower buds. Uh, if you've got grapes, they need a good fruit tree and, and vegetable kind of food. They need that to form next year's uh, new new canes, blackberries, uh, roses. You can go right down the line. All of your shade trees and especially your evergreens, the native ones even more importantly, the ponderosa pines, the pinion pines, these guys that get uh, bark beetle and ips borer and flathead borer and all these problems, you need to fertilize those now so that they can combat that problem as it manifests itself through winter and the next spring is when they really become active. So it's I can't emphasize that enough. So just enjoy the fall. It's kind of a messy swirling around the wind blows it around clean up later rake them up in a pile have your grandkids jump in them it's fun it's truly fun it's messy and dirty and the main thing is don't leave those leaves on the ground on your gardens you want to rake those up and compost them elsewhere or chop them up through a blower or a a mower or some sort and then put them back. If you leave full leaves together, they start to create a a matted effect where it's almost a turtle shell where it does more damage than good. So probably best just to rake those up and and pile them up or just throw them away at your convenience. Don't feel a rush. But by the end of the year, all those leaves should be raked up and something should be done with those. Great questions this week. Ken Elisa Lane and the Mountain Gardeners will be right back. You're listening to Ken Lane, a.k.a. the Mountain Gardener. Ken can be found throughout the week in Prescott at Waters Garden Center. Listen each week as he answers timely garden questions unique to mountain gardens. Oh no, my pine trees look terrible. Never fear, Plant Protector is here. Plant Protector? From Water Garden Center? My super strength protector destroys pine scale, bark beetle, and aphids. Just water into the soil and your trees are protected from the inside out for the year. Thank you, Plant Protector. You can always find Plant Protector at Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott. Hi, Ken, with the Plants of the Week and our Ivory Feathers Pampas Grass. The most majestic of all grasses, this dwarf pampas grass blends perfectly into landscapes. In bloom at waters now with long stalks of ivory plumes held tall above flowing green foliage that only grows head high. Much easier to maintain, this crop is the nicest you'll find and only $39.99. Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott, where people who love ivory grasses, they love to shop. You've been listening to The Mountain Gardener with local expert Ken Lane. Join the conversation every week as he answers timely garden questions. Email Ken a question directly from your phone to his desktop through the web at watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Now welcome back your host, Ken Lane. Now I I know we covered this in the Q&A section, but let me just reiterate, there's too many gardeners coming to me going, oh, my gardens look terrible. What's wrong? It's, it's the normal seasonality. It's, things are changing from summer, fall color, to winter sticks and twigs, especially things that are uh, leafy, big leaves like maples and grapes and blackberries and uh, roses. They all look a little rough. 
And so and they'll look rougher as we get to January. They can actually shed. They might have a few leaves on now. They'll have none by the time we get done. But if you go out and take a close look at those, let's say, crepe myrtles or, or Rose of Sharon's, lilacs, forsythia, you go out and take a close look. They've dropped their leaves. If you look at the branches, you'll see large buds. That is the flower bud or the leaf bud, mainly the flower buds for the spring bloomers uh, that's going to bloom next spring. You really do want to nurture those. You want to take care of them. You want to garden them to health and to blossom. The secret with that is to keep them moist. Don't let your gardener, turn off your irrigation and, and expect those kinds of plants to go from now through February with zero moisture and expect to be healthy and thriving. They are not dormant. They, we are not in Wisconsin where, where it freezes and we're sub-zero and it stays that way and nothing grows. Nothing could grow if it wanted to. It just It's locked. It's like permafrost, just freezes in place like flash freeze, freeze-dried. We don't do that here. That's why we live here. It's so nice. Well, the plants keep growing. They keep nurturing. They keep using some moisture, not a lot, but they do use it. And so you want to keep those things watered. After you turn that irrigation system off, water a couple times a month. It doesn't take a lot. Uh, I would say just doesn't take frequency. But when you do water it, give it a good dose. So we, we're saturating the entire root zone. A big mistake I find a lot of folks make. I did, did quite a bit of planting this week. Uh, over 20 plants, okay, trees, shrubs, lots of hedgerows, flowers, containers. I've done a lot of gardening this week, uh, out, just right here in Prescott, okay? And so when I was digging, each and every hole was bone dry. I mean, it was ridiculous how dry. There was no moisture whatsoever. And so in this part of it had some irrigation to it, but it just hadn't watered long enough. So if you're watering every other day for 10 minutes, 20 minutes with a drip system, I mean, 20 minutes with a drip system is nothing. You might as well not even cycle it on. You're pushing that water now maybe two inches. I mean, if that, you're basically spitting on the ground. It doesn't go through the root zone. To, to properly use micro-irrigation or drip irrigation, you need to have that system running for hour and a half, two hours, three hours. Three hours for, for an irrigation system? Ridiculous. It'll waste too much water. No, no. These are very efficient. I mean, you run the system for an hour out of this emitter and only a gallon's come out. So you have to run. If you're watering it for 10 minutes, that's the, what is that? Not even a pint. That's not even, that's nothing. There's no water on a big tree. Another one I see quite often is uh, your trees were planted five, 10 years ago. And now you're watering once a week for 30 minutes, which is, I mean, don't even bother if you're doing that. Uh, but if you are, uh, and now this, this, this tree is grown, and now the drip emitters are still right at the base of that tree. You really do want to take the time, and now's a good time to do this, move those drip emitters out away from the trunk because the trunk of a tree, there's no, there's actually no feeder roots. There's no roots that can take in moisture, food, nutrients on a plant. Those are big anchoring roots. They're like great big trunks or, or branches that go down to the ground. The feeder roots, the fine white hairs that go out, reach out for nutrients and moisture, those are out towards the drip line. So the trunk of the tree and then the outer branch. So think 
that from the trunk to that outer branch, that's called the drip line. And so you want to be out towards the outer edges of the drip line of that shrub or that tree. That's where all the water should be given. That's where all the food should be given. So when you're, when you're fertilizing your landscape, focus on the outer edge or the outer drip line, not the trunk. The trunk will make no dip. You're wasting your money. Uh, you're, same with the drip system. You want that moisture to be going out towards the outer drip line, not the base. Now, this is different for a brand new landscape. So it's a five-gallon tree. It's got branches that go out maybe two, three feet on either side. Uh, but, but, but all the roots were at the, in that bucket. Well, the first two years, you focus all the moisture right at where the bucket, where the roots were. As the tree uh, or shrub uh, matures, it sends off root hairs out to the sides. And so then you move it down the road. And later, you know, three, four, five years from now, you move that drip emitter out to the outer edges. I've just seen a lot of instances where plants are under, obviously underwatered. They're dropping their needles. They're showing brown. Uh, typically, overwatering is yellowing, wilting. Underwatering is dry, crusty, crispy. And that's the difference. It's kind of how we tell. So just, just read your landscape and your clock and talk to your gardener and see what's right for your landscape. That's my insider tip for this segment. Be right back. The Mountain Gardener, your source for timely garden advice right for higher elevations. Guaranteed to make a difference in your yard this season. Hi, Ken, the plants of the week in our plumtastic muley grass. Glittering clouds of vivid purple plumes emerge in late summer and persist through the end of the year. It's a natural and showing off all its glory right now at the garden center. A superb hillside plant, especially when situated so that the plumtastic flowers are backlit by the Arizona sunset, all for just $36. Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott, where people who love plumtastic grass, they love to shop. Plants are a lot like puppies. They need care, water, and food. You wouldn't forget to feed your puppies, so don't forget to feed your plants. Water 744 All-Purpose Plant Food is a gourmet meal for your plants. The only food for Arizona plants with the nutrients they need for big blooms, a hefty harvest, and tremendous trees, all naturally. It's time to feed your plants with 744 All-Purpose Plant Food from Waters Garden Center in Prescott. You're listening to The Mountain Gardener with local expert, Ken Lane. Mountain gardening is very rewarding, with a few of Ken's tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts sure to turn your thumbs even greener. Now welcome back to The Mountain Gardener. And we're back in the studio with Lisa Waters Lane. We, we give this entire segment to her just to get that another gardener's perspective. Plus, I really like hanging out in little rooms that are dark and covered in foam and have microphones <laughs> called studios with with a pretty gal and so this gal i've been married to for 32 years now yes is it 32 33 30, going on 33 33 so 30 i nailed it 32 <laughs> yeah, man you understand <laughs> right so anyway so uh we still mm-hmm. like working together we still like going to see the grandkids together we still like traveling we still like plants and gardening mm-hmm. i still I like you, says Sam. I am. I like you. Yes, I Anyway, I won't go all Seuss on everyone. In a house with a mouth. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what, what do you got for us this week? What's going on in your garden world? In my world. So this week at the Garden Center, we got two, not one, but 
two shipments of pottery in. That's right. The 2020 pottery is, is here. here. Yeah. So it's um, it is fun. It's always fun unpacking new stuff. It's like getting a ship, shipment of trees or flowers. You're like, ooh, what, what do we have? What's in there? So it's always fun to see what the team has picked out because they actually go hand pick this pottery. That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we put our name on it and say, send this particular pot to us. We're not ordering out of catalogs or yeah. taking a guess. We're actually looking at it. We sell enough pottery where they wine and dine us for a couple of days while we go and look, tour the the warehouses, factories, just go walking through it, literally acres and acres of pots. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of fun when, when the fall season, everything is going dormant and they look mm-hmm. kind of twiggy. These bright colored pots come in and, and these are varieties that will actually winter over for us. Right. So they, right. they take our freeze and thaw and, mm-hmm. and those kinds of, uh, of things. They're for the mountain region. But they're just bright and cheery, and they go with any decor from southwestern courtyards to cabins in the woods. Oh, yeah. It's fun. All sorts. Now, my question to you is, so our pottery, it's heavy, it's high-fired, it's good quality ceramic pottery. My question is, in the wintertime, if you didn't have soil in that pot, is it okay to leave outside, or should you protect it in the wintertime if it's empty? It's even better it's even easier to take care of now the you you think the freeze and thaw would that's what gets it so water gets in the clay it freezes the water expands and so this expansion then it thaws contraction expansion contraction that's what causes cracking and flaking within mexican pottery or Mm -hmm. italian terracotta pottery or your your talavera some of these real decorative kinds of things but a good thick dense clay that's been high fired in a, in a, in a kiln that's, that's good quality, uh, that will take that freeze thaw. The water can't get in there and wreak havoc on it. And so the soil is the one that introduces most of the moisture. Mm. And so if you don't have soil in there, you're not gardening. You're not adding water you know, every week through the winter. You have less chance of moisture getting in there. So it's actually better. better. The, the thing you really want to watch is Televeras, those real fancy Spanish, mm-hmm. colorful, bright pots. Those do not winter over here. They should be indoors, uh, under a deck, out of the risk of moisture getting in that clay by the end of the year, by by, by really December. Yeah, you need I to get that so. protected. You store that in a, in a garden shed or a garage. You don't garden it in winter. These you actually can and they won't crack or flake or cause that issue right so it's good good pottery and you could plant in it now and it'll be fine or you leave get it because it's here it's a good time to find a good selection especially if you're trying to match you know if you want two matching by your front door or uh, a cluster of pots that you all want to match. Now is a good time to be doing that because the sets are still full. Right. And you can find those matching pieces because if you wait till like August. May. I mean, by May. May. <laughs> by May, all this pottery, two truckloads. Yeah. It's all going to be gone or yeah. it'll be start to be picked over picked in the over. sets. Right. You don't have matching sets. So it's all about mm-hmm. timing mm-hmm. with pottery. So if you're thinking of pottery, now's your best time. Now through probably before spring starts. Spring sure. start, starts in the mountains. March 1. Mm-hmm. So you've got great selection, lots of pottery to pick from. But these are things you're importing entire semi-loads. It's not like you go get a pallet here, a pallet here. Right, right. You, you're getting entire sets, mm-hmm. and you can't do that very often. We do it about twice a year. Yeah. 
this is the first year. So if we set the spring now and then we'll have another refilling order and you never quite know what's left at the yards I mean, in yeah. May. Mm-hmm. That gets us through summer. So, yeah. so anyway, yeah, good advice. It really is a premium yeah. time. If you're thinking you need some fresh pottery, now's the time to do it. Even if you're not ready to plant yet. Oh, yeah. Grab the pot. Right. A pretty right. glazed, you know, aqua blue pot is just gorgeous with or without plants right so but, but snag the sets if you want sets if you don't care about sets doesn't matter and listen you know people ask me all the time do they all need to match no and i always tell them no but it's truly what you like yeah. some people have to have matching <laughs> yeah. it's in their dna yeah every pot no matter the size must be the same color other people like to mix and match, and that's kind of what we do at our house. We have kind of a mix and match with it. J- just so you all know, uh, Lisa has over 50 pots. These are all big, like trees. I mean, we're talking big <laughs> palm trees, fruit trees, figs, huge gardens, lots of flowers, over 50 pots mm-hmm. at our house. And we've been collecting these over the For years. It's not time. like you buy, go out and buy 50 pots at $100 <laughs> a piece all at once. Yeah. You're, you're collecting these over, mm-hmm. you know, you see sets, you go, oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. That fits what we got going on. We'll, right. we'll do that. And the other point about this pottery is it looks wonderful inside as well. That's true, yeah. You know, so if you're doing uh, houseplants, big houseplants, small houseplants, this stuff is beautiful, and it would be wonderful inside. Get a well. caddy. Get yeah. something where you can roll around roll if you're around. doing that. Because so. they do get heavy. They do, yeah. <laughs> so I thought I'd talk about, I went out and perused it and checked out the new colors that we have. And, of course, we have the oxblood red, which is a great, red for Arizona. I really think it matches nicely with a lot of the styles that we have, whether it's Southwestern or whether it's more cabinish. Um, it just really looks nice with the variety of, of style of houses. We also got sage green, which is, um, I'm calling it sage green. You'd probably call dark it green. something else. But it's not really a dark green. Hunter green. No, but it's beautiful. And the thing I like about it is the patterns within the pottery. So it's oh. not just one bland color. It's kind of got some swirl in there oh. with a little bit, little bit darker, a little bit lighter. Just really, really pretty, especially I was out there in the sun was hitting it. Oh, it was nice. Like absolutely gorgeous. That is the style right now. It's mm-hmm. solid colors with a pattern. That's what you're seeing, all the design, decor, luxury brand, magazine kind of mm-hmm. stuff. You're seeing that type. That's what's, that's what's yeah. in right now. Yeah. There's a teal blue one out there that has kind of a gold rim, and that gold kind of spills down in, oh. around the pot, and the sun was hitting it. Oh, it was absolutely beautiful. It's one of those ones you've got to see because my describing it, yeah, airwaves do don't do it justice. It does right. not do it justice, but it's really, really pretty. And there's some fountains that match that same oh, pot. It's, it would be really attractive oh, on a could, deck or a patio. A picture in Facebook it. We mm-hmm. could show it off to the stream, through the oh, sure. Waters Facebook page. That'd be easy enough. Well, by golly, after we'll do that right after the show. We'll get it done. <laughs> but it would be really pretty on a little patio or a little courtyard area to have your fountain and the yeah. matching pots. It'd be absolutely gorgeous. There's a uh, dark blue, almost a cobalt can't say it, cobalt blue that has an edge on it that's kind of a silvery, silver color oh. to it. It kind of has that same thing where it's spilling down into the color of the pot. And it's just, 
it's I really really like it I, I didn't think I would when she was we were talking about it but I saw it and I'm like oh scene is believing that is really really pretty and then we got this whole series of I call it ocean blue color because okay. it's not really teal but it's not a cold glossy or flat colors is it like a it's, matted it's not matted oh, no it's okay. glossy it's shiny it's gotcha. a shiny pot but the the colors in it are just I wish I could describe it. We're going to have to take some pictures. We'll take some pictures. It or better so yet, folks, pretty. if you're in this part of Prescott, you know, just drop in and take a look. It's still half in the parking lot, half on the ship. There's kinda pottery everywhere. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got some really nice neutrals that'll fit in there again with a lot of different colors of homes around here. Lots of great pot ideas this week. Thank you, Lisa, mm-hmm. for sharing. It's it's exciting. I, I really it's like Christmas. It is for for gardeners for next spring. So. <laughs> Kenelisa Lane and the Mountain Gardeners. We'll be right back. Look for more tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts through Ken's website. Podcast the show, read his weekly garden column, or follow him on Facebook and Instagram at watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Hi, Ken, with the Plants of the Week and our Ivory Feathers Pampas Grass. The most majestic of all grasses, this dwarf pampas grass blends perfectly into landscapes. In bloom at Waters now with long stalks of ivory plumes held tall above flowing green foliage that only grows head high. Much easier to maintain, this crop is the nicest you'll find and only $39.99. Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott, where people who love ivory grasses, they love to shop. Hi, Lisa here with the Plants of the Week and our little Janie Gara. Little Janie is a charmer with flowers that float above this 15-inch plant. The fluorescent pink flowers will wow the hummingbirds with Janie's charm as well. Hummingbirds throughout the neighborhood will visit your plants. They're just so popular and only $14. She thrives in hot, dry gardens and only found at Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott. Where people who love their native plants to be beautiful and hassle-free, they love to shop. Welcome to the Mountain Gardener with Ken Lane. Gardening in the mountains is different. Listen to Ken's tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts guaranteed to make your gardens more beautiful than ever this year. Now for better advice that works locally, welcome your host, Ken Lane. That's one thing. We, we were talking containers. Lisa was in talking about pottery. One, one other bit of advice I can give you after planting all of these containers. Every year we, go, we do a lot of gardening in containers. Make sure this is a game changer, no matter what your pot is, whether it's a wood barrel or a bathtub, a water trough, or a fancy glazed pot. Make sure you're adding some freshness, some fresh potting soil into your mix. Whatever you do, don't take soil out of your raised bed or out of your garden and put it into your containers. As you heat that up, it actually turns into a brick, hard as a rock, harder than a rock, and you can't grow in it very well, and you wonder why you struggle uh, in, in this con- container gardening, what the ideal soil medium, this is what you're really, really looking for. Whatever that that shrub, that tree, that vine, that uh, lettuce, tomato, what, whatever that plant is grown in, whatever that start is, whatever that smaller plant, whatever you're going to be putting into that container, if you can get that same exact soil and put more of it in your containers, you will have 
instant success. I mean, just it's you could stumble your way face first into success by gardening with the same kind of soil. Plants do not like to go into different kinds of, of soils. It'd be like a Southwest person. Okay, we're used to dry air, bright sunshine. What happens when you fly back east or down to the south? You get off that plane. And you you get you hit that air and you kind of go oh my gosh it is so humid I I'm gonna die I'm sweating I can feel my pores oozing right now plants do the exact same thing in reverse uh, someone that's coming from the south they come to the southwest your friends flying down from Michigan what do they do they come and visit see the Grand Canyon by the time they get back two days later their lips are just peeling they're trying to adapt to the dry air their throat is just they just aren't used to the dry, the dryness. Plants are just like people. They, they don't like to adjust to different kinds of soil. So whenever we're planting, we take a good potting soil. We, we've got our actual growers mix. It's what we grow in. So it's called water's potting soil of all things. And so you fill it up, put plants in, and they just take off because they just don't know any better. This is just more of the same. If we're adding some plants to a container, and uh, let's say we're going to plant a new Nandina in a big pot you know, or, or, or heavenly bamboo. That's what it's known as in Southern California. You put it, put it in a nice blue glazed ox blood red pot. You'd fill that pot up with water's potting soil and then plant that plant right in it and then surround it with more of that potting soil and then fertilize it with a root and grow. If you do that, those plants will just just absolutely take off. If we're going to add a few plants around that, let's say I've got an established uh, cotoneasterus, an established rose, and it's something that's been in this pot for a while, but I want to add some pansies. I want to add some, some, some color around there. There, I'll try to dig out some of that older soil. I'm trying to not replace all of it because that other plant is rooted in there, but I'll try to get some of that soil out so I can add some freshness, add some a fresh pocket of potting soil, and it's a game changer. It really makes a difference to your success and how well, how quickly the plants fill out and, and fill in. So the, just that's just kind of wrapping up uh, the container idea. It's just some success. I mean, you're you're tuned in, you're friends, and I just want you to be successful with this. I want you to really have great successes and the mountains can be a little rough i mean it's dry and windy it's these extreme temperature changes it can be rough on plants if you don't know what you're doing or if you're just not sure well there's a tip that can really make a difference within your next container garden it'll, right now it'll make a difference uh, and, and how successful you're being so some other evergreens we mentioned uh, heavenly bamboo that's probably a number one seller. So it's this lacy uh, leaf. The, the, the thing you got to realize is many of these plants, they have several sizes. So heavenly bamboo, it's got a standard size. It grows about chest high. There's another one called Gulf Stream or Sienna Sunrise. It grows about hip high. There's another one called Harbor Dwarf. It's ankle high. They're all the same kind of plant. They're all evergreen. Uh, they hold their foliage right through winter. They're lacy. They're, they have a leaf, not a needle. And they're just, they just are bright and cheery. They grow well in containers in the ground, wherever you want them. It's just a great plant for here. Same with Cotoneaster, or the way you'd spell it is Cotton Easter. There's a big one called Parnii Cotoneaster. This is a big boy. It gets 10 by 10 by 10. This is a big, we screen things out. You've got a neighbor that you don't want to see? Parnii Cotoneaster. 
That's a big one. Evergreen. It's got a leaf to it. Gets a little berry, a little, little flower in the spring. It's a great plant for here. Fast grower, thick leathery leaf. It just it just thrives. Grows fast. Uh, there's smaller ones that that grow too. So coral beauty. Icolts. Uh, there's a whole series of cotoniasters. So from from ground hugging, carpet like, to mid high to really giant. It's a broad range of plants that do very well here. Another one is euonymus. Now euonymus is another broadleaf evergreen. So these are not needly. They're not conifers. Conifers have a needle. Broadleaf evergreens have it's an evergreen with a leaf. Broadleaf. And so Euonymus is famous. I mean, especially in the Midwest, East Coast, it's got a thick, waxy leaf, which makes it adapt in a dry climate extremely well. So there's big ones like Silver King. This one gets, it's, we use it for tall hedges, so like head high or, or higher and wide. So this is a big gold or, or silver kind of kind of color to it, two-tone, variegated. But there's also just green varieties. And then there's moon shadow, which is a ground cover variety. They're all euonymous. They just have different sizes and some different colors to them. So anywhere from green to gold to silver or creamy color. Probably the most popular in Texas or in that south-southern area is wax leaf privet or Texas wax leaf privet. So only the Texans would take credit for the entire plant uh, for, the, for the whole country. It grows almost everywhere, but it's a Texas wax leaf privet. It really does well in Prescott and the Central Highlands as well. So it's a big, big evergreen, so, I mean, rich green, just solid green. Pretty flower in spring. Gets up about head high or a little taller, thick, good privacy screen. You need some out by the... Uh, by the mailbox or something, or just screen off someone across the way. Waxleaf privet's a great one for that. And then the number one seller by far for evergreens is red-tipped photinia. Well, we've got some big ones, some big 15 gallons out in the yard. They're standing probably, I don't know, five, six feet, to probably almost head high uh, to small ones. So one gallon, so five gallons. Um, they're they're affordable in that they grow so fast, you can get a lot of plant for the money. The negative with that is they grow so fast, they get out of control really fast. So you can get a lot of plant for the money, but then you better have the space for it, or you better have your gardener take care of that and whack on it like every other week, because it's going to grow that fast. I mean, uh, small children, dogs have been lost in red tip photinia. I mean, it just gets that aggressive. Don't put it right next to your house or it will obliterate your entire house. It's 12 by 12 by 12. It's a big boy, but it's pretty. The new growth is red. It's a great plant for here. Uh, what else? We've got uh, probably the number one seller on the East Coast is boxwood, especially if you're up near the forest. We've got a lot of deer and javelina pressure. Animals don't eat. They don't, they don't even touch. They aren't even interested in boxwood of all sizes. We've got pencil shapes that just grow straight up, not very wide to winter creeper or, or winter uh, winter gym. It's a nice little shrub, about three by three by three. You can wa line walkways with it. Bright evergreen all the time. Just does well in containers. Does well at the front of the house, out by the driveway. Just It does well here. Again, many of these have a, a waxy leaf to them. So they, they're very economical on their, their moisture use. They, they don't perspire very much. They, just, they conserve their moisture really well. And this is a good time to walk your nurseries, walk through and take a look because you can see what they're going to look like when it's cold out. Some of them have a tinge like like um, 
uh, or Oregon grape, holly. It's a native that grows wild here. If it's out in the full sun, it gets this red tinge on the top of it. If it's in more of the shade, it stays this rich forest green color. And it's got a holly leaf. Already, some of them are starting to, to show their flower buds that will start blooming now in February or March. It's bright yellow flower. So it's a great evergreen native that grows wild here. So there's lots of choices. But now's your time to walk the nursery, to take a look. To buy and plant those. This is the time to plant those types of evergreens because you can see what they're going to look like in the season you want them to look good. So anyway, that's the advice I can give to you. So the broadleaf evergreen shrubs that will grow here in the mountains of Arizona. You're listening to local garden expert Ken Lane, the owner of Waters Garden Center. He can be found throughout the week at Waters Garden Center, located in Prescott at 1815 Iron Springs Road. Thanks for tuning in to The Mountain Gardener. If life is a bowl of cherries, why not make them the biggest, sweetest cherries ever? Waters Garden Center is super excited to introduce our new organic fruit and vegetable plant food. This fertilizer has the bonus of added calcium that gives fruit trees and veggies an extra boost to produce healthy, abundant crops. Feed your plants now to help them thrive and grow more fruits than ever in just $27 for a 20-pound bag. Save natural, organic, fruit and vegetable plant food only at Waters Garden Center. Oh no, my pine trees look terrible. Never fear, Plant Protector is here. Plant Protector? From Waters Garden Center? My super strength protector destroys pine scale, bark beetle, and aphids. Just water into the soil and your trees are protected from the inside out for the year. Thank you, Plant Protector. You can always find Plant Protector at Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott. You've tuned in to The Mountain Gardener with local garden expert Ken Lane. Join him each week as he answers timely garden questions that are sure to make a difference in your gardens. Now welcome your host, Ken Lane. Let me see if I can just encourage you, uh, especially if you're new to this area, you're you're a new gardener to to the mountains of Arizona, and you're new to four-season gardening. I mean, from the Midwest, you're kind of going, ah, yeah, I got this. It's a similar seasonality. Fall is a very good time. Now through the end of the year, it's, it's just it's an optimal time to be planting, especially your larger evergreens, spruce and pine. This is your ch- this is when you get great selection. Uh, we've had crews out. I've got two crews. That's all they do is run around, plant, deliver plants, especially the big ones because a, a spruce tree, a big Spartan juniper, a large Italian cypress, a, a big pine tree, ponderosa, these things, they can weigh... I mean, 200 pounds, easy. You need fancy equipment, liftgate trucks and jackhammers. It's, that's not for, for just anyone. If, if, if I'm going to put a, a new plant in my own yard, I will plant up to about a 10-gallon plant, maybe a 15-gallon size plant. That's the g- average size smaller tree or shrub. I'll do that myself. If it's bigger than that, I mean, I've got some that are boxes or 25-gallon 30 gallon size plants. These are huge holes. I'm, I've had two back surgeries. I'm not doing that myself. I have my crew come out and plant for me. Some of you are almost injured yourselves wrestling this thing out. Just had a customer last week. I took a big plant home. They had a pickup truck, put it in the back, big spruce tree, went out, planted it. They called us like the next day going, okay, 
I'm ready for the crew to come out and plant this for me. <laughs> they got into it and went, this ground is too hard. It's just too much. And so they came out and got it knocked down. It was done. So it didn't take any time. Now, so just, just look at that and see your abilities. If you're on a big slope, I mean, sometimes it's better to have a couple young bucks go out there and just wrestle this thing down and get it in place and dig the hole and make it go for you rather than if it's all fill dirt and it's easy digging and you can get it all done. Great. If you've got equipment, you, you, uh, contractors, I've got a backhoe I'm digging this hole, I'm going to China. Sometimes that's overkill. Equipment doesn't necessarily help you plant things. I mean, really large jobs. We've had three or four jobs. They're just, they're, they're hundreds of plants, thousands of dollars. I mean, full landscapes we're planting. There we might, we might rent a mini track hoe, but generally we would rather dig it by hand with a, with, so you can actually test the soil, get a feel for it, not go too deep so the soil settles. We want it to be at ground level or even a little above ground level when we're all done, that root ball. And so we, we ensure that that root ball can breathe and root and grow. We can add that uh, mulches, the fertilizers correctly to that. So the hole typically is going to be three times as wide, same depth as the root ball of the tree or the shrub that you're, you're planting. And then we want to add some organic material back into the ground. So many of you, all that topsoil was just scraped off. There's not one living thing left in your ground. Well, we want to add some of that organic composted material back in there. Not a lot, but about 25% to organic to your, to your native soil. It helps it keep it compact from compacting. Add some encourages worms to come back in there. It helps. Then we put the food on, we stake it right. So there, there's, if you want to know how to do that, I've got a handout that goes, here's how to plant in the mountains of Arizona. Here's how much size of the hole you need for the plant, how much mulch, how much food, how much root and grow. It's got every, it's got a checklist. Here's what you need. It's free. Every time you buy, buy a tree or shrub from us, you get one, whether you want it or not. You just, here, here's how to, we want to make sure we reduce mistakes with at least folks that shop here at Waters Garden Center. It's, and we'll offer it to anyone. Here, just ask for it. It's yours. We want you to be successful. That's the whole reason for this show. Ken Elisa Lane and the Mountain Gardeners, we hang out here at Waters Garden Center throughout the week. I hope you can think of something that you can be thankful for in your gardens, in your home, or in your life this week. Hi, Ken, with the Plants of the Week and our Fire Alarm Red Mums. With a name like Fire Alarm, you'd expect large red blooms that take a fire hose to put the glowing petals out. Just provide a little garden soil for a flaming red that will last and last. But wait, there's more. This Fire Alarm Mum comes back again for even bigger show next year and just $3.99. Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott, where people who love red mums, they love to shop. Hi, Lisa with the finds of the week and our Forester Feathergrass. Dramatic bronze flower spikes start blooming in early summer and don't stop until well into next year. The flowers are so light and airy, it's often referred to as feather grass. Growing to just hip high, this dainty grass shows off enough to make a designer statement without being invasive. All for under $30. Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott. Where people who love really pretty grass, they love to shop. If you want a more fruitful garden, increase success in your landscape that just feels better, then tune in every week to The Mountain Gardener. 
Years of tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts are guaranteed to make your gardens nicer than ever. Listen to this podcast or read Ken's weekly garden column by visiting watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Thanks for tuning in.